Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Little Yellow Couch. I'm Zandra, your host of the Style Matters podcast, and I am so glad you're here. Since you're listening, I'm guessing that you are a little obsessed with your home. Me too. Maybe you're new to the whole interior design thing, or maybe you've been at it a while. Either way, the purpose of this podcast is to inspire you to create a beautiful, meaningful home. No matter where you are in terms of developing your style, I encourage you to grab my new free guide, Three Things You Must Do Before Creating Your Dream Home. Read it over, do a little assessment, and take action. I promise I'll be there to help you along the way. Just sign up for the weekly newsletter, and it'll come straight to your inbox at littleyellowcouch.com. Now, one little housekeeping point. If you haven't already, please consider listening to this show on the free Radio Public app, rather than iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you've been listening. Every download on the Radio Public app helps me keep this podcast going. So thanks. And now a word from our sponsor. I'm a bit of a paintaholic. If you know me, you know I'm constantly changing the colors in my home, and I get really particular about finding just the right shades, which is why I am super excited to have found Joe Lee. Jolie Paint is a new no-prep matte finish paint specially designed for furniture, cabinets, and accessories. If you're a thrift store junkie like me, you know the wonders a coat of paint can do for a $2 lamp or a $20 bookcase. Am I right? Along with Jolie's foundational color line, they've just produced a color mixing guide fan deck showcasing over 300 Jolie paint color mixes so you can get just the right shade you're envisioning to transform your project. After working with Jolie paint and finishing waxes myself, I can tell you the quality of the paint is so lovely and the customer service is outstanding. Plus, I have to mention that their products are non-toxic, low VOC, low odor, and non-hazardous. Jolie Paint and Finishing Waxes are even considered food and baby safe after they have had 14 days to cure. 
So I encourage you to check them out at www.joliehome.com. That's J-O-L-I-E home.com. So I hope you are doing well today. I have been getting some really interesting questions about our upcoming style retreat in Tulsa, Oklahoma this October. And in case you have not asked me these questions yourselves, either via email or DM, I thought I would answer two of them because they seem to relate to a lot of people. So the first one is people are wondering what glamping entails because it's called the glamping design camp. Okay. I came up with that name, first of all, because at one of my other retreats, some of the people who were there said, this is like design camp, you know, like going away for the summer and getting to do all these fun things when you were a kid and having a great time, only it's for adults and it's about interior design. So I took that idea of camp and put that in the name of this particular retreat. Now, for someone like me who is not a camper at all, I have to say, I love glamping. It's the best way to be outside without the sweat, the work, the hassle. It's peaceful. It's beautiful. We have the whole property to ourselves. There's a very pretty canvas tent already set up for you with an honest-to-God real bed with soft linens and a very clean, accessible bathroom with lovely showers. Now, for those of you who really still are on the fence about a tent... There, there are two other options. One is a cabin with its own indoor bathroom. Not that the other bathrooms aren't indoors. They are indoors, full plumbing. <laughs> but this one has its bathroom attached. So there is a cabin available that has, I believe, a queen-sized bed, if anybody wants that. And there are Airstreams available. And I believe there's just one left. So if you would like an Airstream, which means... You're basically sleeping with a roof over your head in an adorable, so cute, old-fashioned Winnebago. However, those do share the bathrooms with the people in the tents. Believe me when I say you are not roughing it, because if we were, I wouldn't be doing it. Another question I'm getting is, what are these style boards you're talking about, and what does it mean? How will they help me? Well, style boards are a cross between mood boards and vision boards. Let me back up. So everyone who comes to the retreat has a particular room in mind that they'd like to transform. And so the style boards are related to that particular room. I'll take you through the process of connecting the feelings you want to have to the spatial, the organizational, and the decorative choices that we will all be making in our sessions. Everyone is going to get a ton of one-on-one help from myself, but also from two other designers that are helping me out. And everything else we're doing that weekend is icing on the cake. And believe me, (laughs) the icing is pretty incredible. To see all of the activities that I'm talking about and photos of the place, check out the website and get yourself registered. There are only a few spots left. This will be my third Little Yellow Couch style retreat. And every time we come away feeling refreshed, inspired, ready to take on a meaningful project. And so I would love to have you have this experience with me. I would love to meet you in person. Okay, now let's talk about today's episode. Do you remember that show? um, What was it called? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, the one with the pretentious British guy who uh, took us through all those homes and yachts and, you know, you couldn't imagine living that way. Well, today we're going to get pretty close to mirroring that show and it's going to be fun. 
My guest is Tracy Kennelly, and she has the really interesting job of advising people on how to start and build private art collections. Her clients are looking for both great monetary investments as well as the acquisition of some stellar pieces of culture to adorn their homes. So I thought it would be interesting to hear about her background, her work, and her thoughts on why art is such an important piece of creating a meaningful home, no matter what your budget. And with the budget thing in mind, I want to take a minute to tell you about two articles I've written related to buying art that you can find on the show notes page of this episode. One is my personal take on why art is such a critical component of any home and where to find it and how to get started. It's called How Not to Be Afraid of Art Galleries. And the second article is a photo guide called 17 Ways to Hang Art. Because once you get the art home, you got to know how it fits into the rest of your living space, how to hang it on the wall. So I share 17 examples of interesting ways to hang, art, hang artwork that you may not have thought about before. So just go to littleyellowcouch.com, click on podcast, and then click on this episode with Tracy Kennelly, and those two links will be right there. Okay, let's get started. So Tracy, thank you so much for being on Style Matters. I am a humongous art lover and everyone listening is probably sick and tired of me saying that over and over again, but it's true. And I believe that art is so foundational to the beauty of our homes and to expressing who we are and to stretching our imaginations and um, pushing us to think differently about the world, all of those great things that I think therefore belong in our home. So I am so excited to talk to you because you are immersed in it and you spend your life surrounded by art. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Let's start just by telling people about your company, what it is you do. I want to talk to you a little bit about your background because it's really super interesting to me. So, so go ahead and tell us, get us started. Well, I'm an art advisor based here in New York, and I help people build their private collections. Their collections are home-based. It is uh, mostly a passion project, but still aligned with a lot of the other incentives for art as far as being culturally relevant, as well as potential ally of investment, that that's a very long-term outlook. And I help people with all of those needs. We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one-of-a-kind, personality-filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one -on -one style session with yours truly. 
So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework, in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. Right, right. Okay, so now... How did you get started? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your time at Christie's in London and your internship at the Guggenheim in Venice. Uh, Yes. So I got my master's in art style and design at Christie's in London, which was also a Glasgow degree. It was Renaissance to post-war art. And that's essentially a big house training. So you go into one of the big English big houses, floor to ceiling, what can you expect to see why is it relevant visually, historically, ultimately value-wise, which can change at any moment. And my main focus was early 20th century art. Okay. Before that, I was in Venice, the Peggy Guggenheim Collection, and I was an intern there, and that was a marvelous experience because um, it's so intimate and it's so extraordinary in that it's not a huge collection, especially by today's standards. Hmm. If I recall correctly, there's only about 252 works in her entire collection and about like 50 masterpieces if we're looking for Which Picasso. sounds huge Pollock. to me. That, that, that sounds huge to me, like, you know, 50 masterworks in her private collection, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, her. let's just say that's a very high batting average. <laughs> out of, oh, oh, right? okay. Um, so let's say you get that for an entire lifetime, it would be easy to acquire a thousand works, especially Mm. with the kind of prolific intensity that Peggy collected with. And so that's interesting because I think of the Guggenheim in this, in New York as I forget that there's a person behind it, you know, that there's a single person that started this collection. I think of it as this huge world-class museum, which of course it is. Whereas Peggy Guggenheim in Venice, you're, you still think of that as a, as a personal collection, kind of the way you do with Isabella Stewart Gardner. It was her, I think the fact that it was her home really hits a lot. And so that was. Right. Yeah. So back to Christie's for a second, because I, I, you know, most of us don't have this kind of an education. So can you give us a little bit more detail about what, what a class would be like? So you go into this big, huge room and you're saying there's, there's, you know, floor to ceiling is just filled with paintings and, and your professors are saying... That would be more like an on-site trip. So before that, you're reading history, monarchs, mm. depending on what the medium is, silver, woods, paintings. You're looking at over hun- like hundreds of years of history kind of built up. And that's the foundation for a lot of what we... Uh, collecting segments, how stylistically we've come to inherit a lot of the visuals both um, in the UK and Europe and abroad because of all these notions of antiquity and class and status. You're reminding us that art is so intertwined with with history, with the time of which it it comes, and that therefore, as a person who is going to be helping people with their own personal collections, you, you do need to know about the significance of a painting as it was situated within it's time, right? You need to understand what was going on socioeconomically, politically, uh, even geographically, perhaps, which is fascinating to me. Oh, yes. So, for example, I mean, for a lot of 
those houses, especially if we're looking at ones that were built in the 18th century or later, the grandeur is going to be a huge part of the aesthetics and what's valuable in that collection, right? You have to have the right wallpaper with it. You have to have... You'll probably get your Pietro Dura desks from Florence. But then you also, if you were a noble family, you have to kind of like fit this in with some of the previous collecting practices. Uh, Cassone that were inherited from another branch of the family from the 15th century. And then probably a few portraits that you're showing some of your ancestors that may or may not be in fashion. And depending on what you want to say, you're going to hide that or put that prominently. (laughs) Right, right. uh, things like that. So it would be kind of, uh, I mean, just completely, depending where you go, kind of a clash of visuals in some places and then very cohesive. If we're looking at something that maybe was more recent or more recently mm-hmm. wealthy and cohesive as opposed to something that was an older manor house. And that's also, I think, why I love like the, the 19th, early 20th century so much because you see so many revivals. It's kind of like a trick of the eye of trying to figure out oh. if something is or isn't from the period that it's emulating. Frick Collection, you could say, is a good example of that because, of course, the paintings in that collection, there are a lot of historical pieces that are just, I mean, out, absolutely out of this world. That's one of my all-time favorite museums, I have to say. <laughs> And it's and and it's tiny, but I lo- I just love it. That's so funny that you bring that up. Do you have a favorite work or? Well, probably it's now. It's been way too long since I've been there, but I was really interested in all of the the symbolism that was going on in the Van Eyck's and, and of course, yeah, yeah. I thought that stuff. I mean, I didn't know much about art when I first found out about the Frick, and so um, it was just really eye opening to me because I used to look at all of those painting as sort of, I, I just, you know, mash them all together in my mind as if they were all from like one decade. And in fact, they're over hundreds of years between, you know, the Northern Renaissance and then the, you know, things that were coming up in Italy and, you know, to an untrained eye, they look, they all just look old, <laughs> you know, and, and therefore <laughs> irrelevant. Right. And then you realize there's this magic behind it, this magic symbolism behind all of it. And it's like, Oh my God, this is so fascinating. So I would just spend, when I used to live in New York, I would spend hours there. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk now more intimately about people who, who are collecting today just for their own homes, right? Not the, not the people who are building museums, but um, when somebody comes to you as a client or a potential client, what exactly do they need help with? Well, they want to collect art and they want to go about it intelligently. Mm-hmm. So someone comes to me, I usually go to their house, but now I'll, I'll, we have lunch or we talk about art that they do like. And then we start to talk about their homes and lifestyles and what it would, what an ideal collection might be. And if they don't have the lexicon for art and the artists, they start to talk about what it is they want out of it. Now, I almost always get investment as one of the first discussions. And by the time really? we, okay. well, by the time we start collecting, that's almost never really on the table. And oh. part of that, so it starts out talking about that, but then it moves away from that by the end. Yes. Okay. And honestly, I think it's just because. A lot of Americans, especially, don't really understand how don't un, don't understand how to express value. Otherwise, I think mm. also you need to have a lot of money to see art as an investment, even for people with a lot of money. We're looking at okay. a certain hierarchies that are definitely exponential, and I think okay. ultimately they want to have something a little more refined and sensible. 
So okay. I think I'm this comparison that I make very often is some similar to be a little bit of a sommelier, wherein okay. you've had a few really great glasses of wine, maybe at friends' houses, but you don't see what's so great about them in comparison, <laughs> especially for what uh, they right, paid. Right. Um, however, so you want to have a seller that's going to be exceptional, speak to your taste, that you're going to be able to have different tiers to bring out when your friends are around. You're going to be able to talk mm-hmm. about it well. And for some reason, all your friends seem to love rosé and you're just not into rosé. But <laughs> you wouldn't even know, like you wouldn't even know that what you really want are some northern Italian whites. So it's not like you're going to waltz in and be like, I really want a nice vermentino, and you know, like they don't even know that that exists. So that's my job to kind of get to be like, oh yes, now we're looking at northern Italian whites. We're going to have some vermentino, rubello gialla, and go from there, right? Um, and that's right, kind of right. the same with a collection. So most of the time it is going to be predominantly contemporary art. It's going to be mm-hmm. uh, the meat of the collection is what I would call middle market. We start small. We start to talk about, I mean, what's the most fun thing for them about collecting art? Do you want to go and travel and go to artist studios? Do you want mm-hmm. to uh, be able to tell your friends that you have something that was really special and exclusive? Or is it really something that's going to be you think has the greatest cultural value for this time and therefore is going to be the most worthwhile. And usually it hits on some of all of those, right? It is very, very exclusively one, but it does help to start. We'll say like, okay, let's focus on these. We'll call them young, but like (laughs) young Mm -hmm. New York painters. We'll get Mm -hmm. a few works that are smaller, see how you like them and then go from there. Right now that's a practical aspect refining them so that they have a little bit of close understanding for a smaller price point really helps because otherwise then there's a little too much sprawl and they also start to understand why specializing at least in um, maybe a taste context, if not an intellectual context, really helps to make Mm -hmm. a collection sing. And this is also Mm -hmm. a very traditional investment model. Like let's say you have $50,000, get the best artworks for, or 50,000 is your price cap, get the best artworks for $50,000 which is going to change on the day because the art market is volatile. <laughs> I'm sure you know, <laughs> right. but yeah, really right. good art with whole, like holds up against the market in the sense that as a hedge against, we'll say inflation or volatile money markets. And that's one of the desirable investment aspects. So well, any one piece won't necessarily give you like amazing returns because of course everyone wants to hear like, yes, I'm going to buy an artwork for a thousand dollars, sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to love it. Uh, for three years and then pass it on someone else's good. Like, that's unrealistic. <laughs> that's not good. Right, gonna... <laughs> right, right. That's like house flipping, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's not impossible, right? But if that does happen, it's pro- it's incredibly rare. And it's probably because you also got like 80 works at that price point. So why do you think collecting art is so rewarding and so um, meaningful? I mean, it, it sounds like you eventually get people to see that whatever it is that you think is the reason to collect art, what that you get people to understand that. So what does that mean to you? So it sounds like two different questions, honestly. Uh, first off, I think you give, you flatter me and give me way too much credit by saying that <laughs> I somehow magically turn someone onto collecting. I mean, if they're calling me or having a conversation with me, they're already interested in that, right? The way in which we go about it, is my skill, right? The various services. I mean, first the educational, then the nuanced as far as curatorial 
considerations. And then I think like a lot of the hustle, right? To keep it fun. Yes, of course. <laughs> like yes. going to all the openings and galleries and making sure that I get access to the right things and then setting up a lot of logistics when they do want to show up and ship and insurance and that kind of thing. Yeah, right. On the other note, when it comes to collecting, I think ultimately it's always been about something that's special. Every artwork is by definition unique. And then the connection with that, that you have something that is unique, that is singular and its acquisition, for better or worse, is is really special. And I think it's also this notion of something, I mean, it's always about Arzonga Vita Brevis. It's always about communicating with our moment in time as well as our own life. So the way it breaks down in various levels and how that manifests is going to look very different for every single person, as multitudinous as there are personalities in the world, right? Mm-hmm. However, yeah. that that's the pull. Right, right, definitely. So let's let's step away from your world for a minute and the people that you work with, and let's talk about the average Joe <laughs> who doesn't have you know the gobs of money to spend, but still wants to, still feels very passionate about art. Let's just start there. Can you give us some? help with how do I start a collection? What do I look for? I feel like people who really love art and collecting, even if they don't have a huge budget, will find a way eventually. Just start with what calls to you. One of the things that I've always enjoyed about art openings is that you can approach people. And when you think you are ready, just give yourself a budget and pull the trigger. Like until there's the exchange, the whole process of conversation, what kinds of things, like what kind of stimulus you get from talking to dealers and artists and the sort of people that you end up meeting in the process. If you travel, I mean, there's so many things attached to an acquisition of a work of art that are so extraordinary um, and connected and really part of its value. I mean, it might not be explicitly what you see. Wow, I, I completely agree with you. And I really hadn't thought about it that way, that the the acquisition, which is, of course, very active, and as opposed to observing and looking at a piece of art, which can be very passive, they really are connected. And, and it's that, it's the entire experience of, of it's not just the the end game of hanging something on a wall and you're done with it. It's, it's this whole process. You're, you're building a relationship with this work because of the story behind how you acquired it, which is, which is pretty powerful. And, and honestly, that, that has a lot to do, I think, with how we want to build our rooms. They, we want our interiors to be full of stories about how we came across something and how we decided on something, how we chose a particular style over another why we chose a particular color or, or a wallpaper. Um, and of course the art is sort of, to me, it's sort of the really enjoy thinking about the purpose of collecting from that perspective. Yes. You travel so much. So I want to know, like, you know, where have you been recently, where you're going next and what's, you know, what's on the docket for someone who has your incredible job. I went to Basel most recently and that's always great. You, but you were in Venice recently. No, I had to switch that trip. But I'll, I'll go oh, back. Okay. I'll go back. But again, see, that's another thing. Like, I love Venice. If I could be anywhere, like, I love Venice. I love especially being there for the opening. But not, it's got, you go to Venice for the Biennale, you're going to see something that you like. Every country has its own pavilion and its own curator and artist presentations based on the curatorial vision. And then, where else? I was in Freeze, LA. That was a lot of fun. 
Okay. And where are you going next? Or what's, you know, the next like six to 12 months? Ken, I mean, I love Artisium is one of my favorite fairs. <laughs> and where's that? That is in turn in November. The pilgrimage cannot be beat. It is November in Italy. So it's truffle season, the Barolos everywhere. Right. Well, this is why I've been trying to live vicariously through you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I love, I could talk about art all day and I know you can too. So it, this has been a, pr- a particular particularly pleasurable for me. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Zandra. This has been an absolute pleasure for me as well. Please check out our sponsor, Jolie Paint at www.joliehome.com. That's J-O-L-I-E home.com. If you've got a project, a piece of furniture, a cabinet, something that is dying for transformation, Jolie Paint is your source for fantastic color mixes. I highly recommend them. Please check them out. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to grab your free copy of my new guide, Three Things You Must Do Before Creating Your Dream Home by signing up for the Little Yellow Couch newsletter. Also, I hope you're listening to this podcast on the Radio Public app this week. Until then, bye for now. so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.